0: Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience podcast with your host, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Extension Experience. My name is Trent Malachik. I'm Josh Bashan,
2: And I'm Dana Zook.
1: Josh, what are we talking about today? Double cropping, double crop weed control. We've kind of come into the the latter part of the growing season. I was I started off some of my crops earlier, and now our second planting season has kind of come to an end here, going in after wheat, and a lot of farmers either planting for the first time just later in the year or coming in a double crop situation after wheat. We've had quite a bit of soybeans man, grain and grain sorghum going into the ground. Uh, I think that'll probably be our two major crops that we've seen going in and a little bit dry, a little bit of rough conditions across Oklahoma for some of those crops going in. Uh, you know, We had some moisture following harvest in those fields, but precipitation forecast a little bit bleak right now. So we'll oh, see, yeah. how, see how that works out as it moves forward. But I think that gives us a good topic to talk about weed control because whenever we're trying to conserve moisture, we're trying to uh, make sure that crop gets off to a good start. and uh, We really have to worry about our weed control on those farms. So I'll let you kind of get into your talk here as we get
3: started. Kind of plays hand in hand when you start thinking about which crop you're going to grow. I mean, going back to the previous crop, what's, what you sprayed, what can you grow after that? What weeds you got in that crop? So you had some thin stands of wheat. You might have some more maristail issues or have some pigweed starting to come up in those as well. Uh, Just like any crop, starting weed-free is always going to be the best management practice and then keeping it clean because, like you just said, Outlook doesn't look very favorable for recharging those soils with moisture anytime soon plus the heat wave coming in.
2: I saw on the way home yesterday a wheat field that had not been sprayed after it was harvested. It was just full of pigweed. Yep. It looked like it was sucking some water up yesterday when it was 100 degrees.
3: We get that, a little bit of soil moisture and some sunshine. Those annual broadleaf summer crops or summer weeds just take off like nobody's business yeah. it seems like. Yeah.
1: I think that's the important thing to consider whenever you're going into double crop as we are at the peak of our growing degree days. Uh, we're accumulating a lot of heat units at this time. So these weeds can get out of control really quickly. And when you're going in planting in March and in April, it's colder and, you know, those weeds grow a little bit slower and your scouting can be maybe a little bit farther apart than, than maybe this time of year. But it seems like uh, when I've grown uh, anything double crop, if I'm not out there every single week, uh, those pig weeds can get out of hand really quickly. And and just going down that line you know thinking about scouting your fields what does get what, what does getting out of hand mean like how does how does a farmer get in trouble whenever it comes to scouting
3: for weeds uh, the biggest issues, is what options we do have especially when we start looking at resistant weeds is application timing's highly critical get those weeds when they're small but we all know southern great plains we don't have perfect spray conditions every day so what few chances we have we have to make the most out of them. Be prepared. Know what we can spray. If those weeds start to get bigger, then we have fewer options and expect less than desired control for some of those weeds.
2: They can't be like four feet tall, right? This
3: isn't the late '90s with Roundup. Yeah, we yeah. <laughs> we're talking inches, not feet anymore.
2: Okay, so. that's a that's good a clarification.
3: Yeah, we'd like those weeds to be what shorter than a red solo cup, kind of kind of yeah. an idea. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some would say the size of a or the height of a credit card. So we're talking, oh. you know, a few inches for some products, maybe as much as six to eight inches on some other products, but get on top of them early, like we said, there's some stuff once we get in rain or wind, uh cut the out of the field, it doesn't take long for those pigweeds or maristel to grow inches per day. So we get past those optimum conditions pretty quickly. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a systems approach. You think about the economic side of things. and If I get asked how to save money on growing a summer crop or something like that, you're not going to get out of spraying for weeds. Uh, If you think that that's the case, it had to have been a perfectly clean field. And even then you have escapes and things that come in. But, you know, spraying weeds when they're small, so you don't have to go out with the max labeled rate on really big weeds can be one way that you can kind of flex some of your management uh, potential and get out there quickly and, and try to reduce some of those spray costs
3: that way. I don't know we've talked about before, but starting out with a good pre, especially in grain sorghum, uh, gets us a lot of broad leaves as well as some grasses. And obviously in grain sorghum, we don't have a lot of grass options. Uh, maybe some more options next year, but we'll get into that later. But starting out with, you know, concept treated grain sorghum, we can go with those uh our duals or cinches or bicep products, uh, get those Esmetolacore products out there, as well as some atrazine and those early post applications. Throwing some atrazine in there uh, definitely goes a long way. Might not get you the whole season, but the biggest is starting off, get that crop established.
2: So what if you don't spray for yourself and you don't have some of this control that we talked about control over getting them when they're teeny tiny. If they grow inches in days, you could be well larger than a red solo cup, as Trent said.
3: Yeah, uh, I know Dr. Brent Bean with the, the sorghum checkoff. Uh, he's compiled some research over the years and just looking at grasses and grain sorghum. Uh, depending on the grass, anywhere from 40 to 100% yield loss on grain sorghum. Uh, so that's pretty big numbers when you're thinking about economics, losing 40% off the top. Uh, should be able to pay for those herbicides if used correctly. From weeds? From weeds. Okay, All So right. just the okay. competition of those grasses out there, you're losing that grain sorghum yield. Okay. When we start looking at uh, some of our oxen's like dicamba and grain sorghum, it does have plant height restrictions on the crop. Uh, we can typically see some crop injury from dicamba. in grain sorghum, usually it's, you know, maybe 5%, 10 15%, but it's not going to be too detrimental. So you might be using cut rates, which is fine when you have those small weeds, but we start getting over those 8-inch weeds a foot tall, you're going to be using that full rate of clarity or whatever dicamba product you're using. So... To get the control you might have more crop injury. So you have to weigh the options on do I need good control or do I want to try to save some yield on the backside.
1: I think that's an important little distinction you made there when you, we talk about you know the chemical name and then we talk about trade names sometimes. And yeah you know, just because you hear a name doesn't mean you know exactly what that product is. So it's important to always go to the active ingredients and and Determine yeah. exactly what what the name of that product actually is, because we've seen some very interesting things in stores. Uh, what we expected a chemical to be called has a has a name that doesn't necessarily uh, pertain to what
3: it used to be. Yeah, trade names follow the money registration. So even a product like Roundup, we all assume is going to be glyphosate, but there's homeowner Roundup products you can go buy at your big box store that contain zero glyphosate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. And we also get on the, on the crop side, the side. even just looking at the active ingredients can be tricky sometimes. Going back to those metolachlor pro- products, sometimes it says metolachlor, but there's different isomers. Uh, so you're looking at S-metolachlor versus some other products that just say metolachlor, so you don't know uh, exactly what you're getting. And some of those generic products that are just metolachlor, they might have some S-metolachlor in there. Uh, but it's not going to be as much. And the research shows we get better control with that isomer. Uh, So you might have to up your rate on some of those generics. So looking at the active ingredient, like you said, uh, as well as what kind of concentration that product has to know what rate you have. There's different concentrations of atrazine on the market. So knowing how many pounds per product per acre, Uh, just make sure we do all the math correctly.
2: That's a lot of chemistry there. <laughs> <laughs> maybe talk to someone who knows more about it. If you are not really well versed in that, I would say that sounds like just a lot of complicated stuff. <laughs> now,
1: yeah. that, that label is law and you have to mm-hmm. learn to, to read that label and maybe read it a few times. Don't, don't try to make determinations on what you need to spray standing next to the sprayer when it needs to be done. Uh, some yeah. of this needs to be researched ahead of time.
3: And we've all fallen guilty of wanting to get something that day. And maybe it's harder to find cause everyone else is using the same product. So, mm. uh, obviously there are some price discounts if you lock in chemical or seed early on and that's to their advantage. So they know what to keep in the storehouse. So, uh, but even in going back to soybeans, there are some products, especially if you have resistance, like we kind of mentioned earlier. Whether it be pigweed or mare's tail or horseweed, if you want to call it that, uh, looking at different modes of action. So, if you have taller weeds, if you have resistant weeds, you're going to be using stuff that's going to be more expensive. Can't just rely on the Roundup or the Liberty with the glufosinate. And knowing your traits, uh, some of these like extended flax, know what traits you are tolerant or resistant to, and know what tools you have available in the toolbox.
1: Yeah, that's. I think having multiple ideas about what you want to spray or what or different modes of action that could possibly kill the weed you're going after is important because I don't know how many times I've worked with my dad and we've gone out and scouted, found something we wanted to get rid of. So we formulate a plan, we go to town and that chemical is not available for a few days or something like that. So it's anytime you're trying to get help from either a, a consulting agronomist or someone in extension, it's always nice to have a few different ways you can get that, that product out there, whether it's it's a, whether you're looking at dicamba or if there's a, an ability to go with a different chemistry or something like that. Uh, I think it's important to have a few different ideas about how you're gonna tackle that problem because you might not always get what you want when you go to town to buy it.
3: Yeah, and, uh, different modes of action. Some will have more residual, like typically a ALS or group two type herbicides gonna give you more residual. There are some group 14, the PPOs, Um, something like reflex will give you a little more residual than some of the other group 14 herbicides and soybeans. So if all you have is grasses out there, there's generic clethodems that we could use. Uh, but most of the time weeds tend to mimic the crop. So if you're growing a grass crop, most of the time your main issues are going to be grass species, so weeds. If you're in a broadleaf crop, you're going to have those broadleaf weeds. That's going to be more challenging to manage.
1: Yeah, and let me ask you this. We've got a few weeks of really hot weather coming up. I mean, it's going to be summer in Oklahoma, so it's going to be hot for several months. <laughs> you know, the efficacy of these products are affected by how a plant grows, if if I'm being fair there. Would you like to, to kind of talk a little bit about that, how heat and stress can affect the efficacy of these products? Uh,
3: You hit the nail right on the head, heat and stress. Some plants or some weed species have mechanisms that help them cope for that drought stress, heat stress, building a thicker cuticle. So it's harder to get the product into the weed uh, to get activity and sometimes spray carrier volume, uh, gallons per acre on your spray will help uh, with some of that. Uh, Even burn down applications with like Paraquat, a contact type herbicide, You want larger droplets that don't evaporate too quickly. So you don't have to use a different nozzle for something like Paraquat, Where we want good coverage, but we don't want it to spray in the heat of the day, have those droplets evaporate because we won't get that product into the leaf. Uh, So utilizing different surfactants, adjuvants, uh, will help in some of those cases to get that product to spread on the leaf uh, and absorb into that leaf. And some plants, they're just not actively growing in that heat, they're shutting down, they're not uh, respiring, they're not growing. So it's harder to get good control. So sometimes we can help that on the application, like I said, different spray carrier, up in the volume, maybe 15, 20 gallons per acre water, using different nozzles, um, even different surfactants and adjuvants to get the most out of your product. And
1: again, coming back to economics, People talk about ways to save money. You really have to stray away from trying to save money on surfactants, especially in the summertime, uh, keeping those droplets from evaporating, getting them into the plant I and mean, penetrating that waxy layer on that leaf can be pretty tough sometimes whenever it gets hot and dry. I mean, you see in the middle of the day, I drive by soybean fields and they're all curled up and they. You, know, that you can tell they're stressed, they're trying to save that moisture. So if they're saving moisture, keeping moisture in, that's going to keep other things out as well. So penetrating that layer is, is very difficult. So you know, that surfactant might be as expensive as the chemical you're spraying to kill the weed sometimes if if you're going with some Cadillac products and really trying to figure out ways to get it in. But you know if you don't get the weeds control, you're not gonna have a crop anyway. Right? And that's kind of when you get started you know, crops are already in the ground now, but if this is something that the producers are thinking about in the future, it's important to go through the whole the whole year and think about what the cash flow needs are going to be for that crop the entire time. And that might affect how many acres you even plant because, you know, if we're used to growing wheat and used to that production system, sometimes growing summer crops, especially a high value crop like soybeans, you can run out of money on the operating line pretty fast whenever you're you're going out there in spring, 15 or $20 an acre worth of chemical. And and if you need to do that several times throughout the growing season, it, it can be really stressful from a producer standpoint that way, because you, you want to just eventually stop. You want to quit spending money on that crop and, and wait for harvest. And, you know, one kind of idea I give producers there is, you know, you don't start on a field that, you know, if you're growing crabgrass for hay on that field, it might not be the best farm to plant grain sorghum on the next year, you know, cause mm-hmm. fighting those grassy weeds are, is just gonna eat you up all summer long. And even if you get the weeds controlled, anytime a weed sprouts, it's robbing moisture from that crop. I've seen soybean fields this year where, you know, it maybe didn't get the pigweeds in just in time, you know, and, and they're dead. We ended up getting good control on them, but the soybeans have never recovered. You know, they're shorter in that area. They're burning up in the drought stress faster. Those plants probably aren't as developed and the roots aren't as developed. So,
2: Because you know, of the spray?
1: Because well, of the because spray? of the competition. Oh, competition. Okay. Yeah. All
2: right.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, you just, you never make that up. Anytime a weed sprouts, that decreases yield mm-hmm. and it's going to
3: affect you the rest of the year. And when you see that in all crops, that early competition, And um, I always think of, you know, our winter wheat versus our summer crops is kind of two different races. You have a long race and a short race. Summer crops, you stumble out the gate. You're never going to catch up.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, same way with weed control. If we get that early competition, we start to get in those hot, dry conditions late summer. Uh, that crop's never going to catch up. And so we battle that throughout the whole year. And sometimes we just got to ask ourselves, what's our yield potential? We all know it's always the highest, when it's in the bag. Mm-hmm. But when you get to that point where you're expecting 30 bushel soybeans, you're not going to be throwing 50, 60 bucks of herbicides at it. I've also seen in grain sorghum, crabgrass starts to take over. We start looking at grazing or hanging it off. Mm -hmm. And so we always have to be dynamic, make those decisions. And always be the most economical decisions, but Mm -hmm. hopefully it's at least a learning experience.
2: Expensive, Expensive grazing opportunities.
1: (laughs) Well, salvage operations are as big of a deal about growing summer crops as anything in Oklahoma. You know, we don't get that inch of rain every week or every couple of weeks in this state. And you have to have more than one plan on making money on any crop. You know, and wheat, wheat's always been a dual purpose crop for us. We graze it in, we harvest it for grain. And sometimes it goes to hay. There's a lot of different opportunities for harvesting wheat. And we often consider wheat having nine lives. You'll hear mm-hmm. that that wheat dies three times before it makes a 60 bushel crop, you know? (laughs) And that's just not the case with some of our summer crops. You know, they might start life on borrowed time Mm -hmm. and they need above average rainfall, better than expected conditions to even be able to make a crop. So then those salvage operations are something we have to think about. But we'll kind of bring Dana into this conversation a little bigger way now, because when we start talking about salvaging like a grain sorghum crop, you know, we've probably put out 80, 90 units of N on this farm because we want to raise, you know, big yields. We want to produce grain and we and it takes a lot of grain to make that crop make money. If we get into a situation where that crop has been stressed and heat stressed and it's not going to get to grain and we're going to have to either graze it or hay it. What are some of our concerns going out there with, with something like grain sorghum in that situation?
2: So with any um, summer crop, we have the risk of nitrate. Accumulation and prussic acid accumulation, which is a cyanide in the plant. Uh, any summer crop, any summer weed, anything that grows in the summer in Oklahoma has that risk. So uh, that's the things that we need to think about. And as it gets drier, drier than dry in some areas of the locations that we cover, um, we have seen. Uh, some nitrate poisoning and prussic acid poisoning in cattle, especially kind of towards our su- southwest area in the last couple weeks. Uh, some cases were brought on with very dry areas receiving some rain, and the new growth was very high in nitrates or prussic acid. Um, so, that those are some things to think about. Just the things to keep in mind nitrates most often accumulate in the mature parts of the plant. So, if you're grazing, if you're not consuming that really hard stem, thick stem, a lot of times nitrates aren't as big of an issue. Now, they're probably still there. They're probably below the levels that can be a concern. Now, if it gets really droughty and that plant is really stressed, like, like you talked about earlier, Trent, um, it can be in the entire plant. And so that's a concern. Now, on the opposite end, prussic acid, which it's not actually an acid, right, Josh? It's it's more like a gas. Okay, so I won't go into chemistry. I'm not very good at that, as I talked about before. But so what happens is prussic acid will accumulate in some plants in the newer growth. So you have some in the old growth for nitrates, and prussic acid isn't in the new growth. So new growth, if as that. Animal chew will bite onto that plant and chew that plant material. It breaks up the cells and releases cyanide gas, which you can see um, I mean the telltale signs of that is an animal that's dead with grass in its mouth or within with the weed in its mouth. And so those are some really big concerns, um, some things to keep in mind. Um, there's not a lot we can do about it. I mean, right, Trent, Josh. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's just a risk we have to expect. And so um, we can have a drop test done in our extension offices, but that, you know, that for nitrates For nitrates. Yes, thank you, Trent. Um, but that only tells us if it's there. It doesn't tell if it's a, if it's toxic or not. The best thing, my recommendation, the easiest way to do it is cut your forage for hay and sample it out of the bale. But we were talking about grazing earlier. It's just a risk with grazing that you have to expect understand the conditions, talk to your county extension educator about the conditions that are ripe for nitrates and prussic acid. Uh, remember any new growth, um, if it's been cut, if you if you swath it or something and then think, oh man, there's some this new growth, I got some rain, that new growth could be very toxic in both those um, uh, prussic acid and nitrates. It's
1: one of the biggest ways we manage uh, nitrate risk on you know, sorghum sudans or or those types of crops that we plant for hay is we don't fertilize them as much. Absolutely. They have very low rates of nitrogen fertilizer help reduce the chance of nitrate poisoning. Now, if we're having an agronomic crop that we've put a lot of nitrogen out there, that's yeah. where we can get into hot situations. And then even thinking about, say, if it's a soybean field and I wanna you know salvage that, there's pig weeds growing out there and other plants like that, the weeds can can also pose a threat. It's not just the crop that's growing they can have nitrates and prussic acid. We can just about eliminate our concern about prussic acid if we hay it mm-hmm. and it's best if we crimp that crop and bust yes. those cells and that releases that gas. So prussic acid is mostly a grazing concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, nitrates, that stuff changes by the hour sometimes. Yeah,
2: it will change. But when you once you cut it, it's done changing. Mm-hmm. It will be there uh, forever. <laughs> You know, in that amount that it was there when you cut it. So that's really good to add there as well. So that's the safest way, in my opinion, to you know deal with those. But that's not always realistic. A swathing and baling adds on cost as well, mm-hmm. if you're keeping those um, things in mind.
3: And has acid sometimes, say we had some late planted milo and we had an early freeze. Yes. And there's some... Caution there too.
2: Yep, so anytime the plant is damaged, stressed or damaged, especially with a frost situation for the Milo, um, you have to have a concern. You will ha- You need to be concerned about prussic acid. You need to stay off a Milo a sorghum field. Um, don't even graze it after it's been cut uh, for about 10 days to allow that prussic acid gas to kind of dissipate. Um, a lot of chemistry with both those things but uh, but those are kind of the you know main points of concern for those risks just got to understand that that's a risk that you have
1: yeah and we'll have producers we are in a drought we have extreme drought in Oklahoma grazing is going to be required for some people in order to to maintain cow herds yes so you know oftentimes if someone is completely uh, decided that that is what they're going to do, they're going to go out and graze that field. Just please don't turn out hungry cattle on those farms. Uh, if you can yes. get them some some hay that you know it's safe and get their bellies full mm-hmm. so that they browse instead of consume immediately out of the gate, sometimes that can help. But again, mm-hmm. that doesn't go against, uh, that doesn't that doesn't mean you don't need to test no, and things like that. Absolutely, just, so
2: yeah, so the microbes in a ro- cattle's rumen can adjust to a little bit of nitrates, but like you said, a complete, uh, you know, consumption, full belly, full of high nitrate forage is, is just a, a ticket for death.
1: <laughs> and we make this sound incredibly scary and that's kind of on purpose. You yeah. Know, we want people to be careful, but this stuff is done very successfully every single year. Yeah. So, you know, we, we want to encourage producers just to talk to their county agents if they have questions, you know, and, and we can provide some of that consultation and some of those ideas on how to mitigate these risks. And we really are happy that you joined us today. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us and we'll see you next time.
0: We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the topics discussed, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.